we're taking five weeks to study five faith-building practices. And last week, we studied abiding in Jesus' word from John chapter 8. And this morning, we want to take a look at persistent prayer from Luke chapter 11. As I thought about the topic of prayer, I would guess that we are coming from many different places in terms of prayer. I would guess that some of you uh, maybe have never prayed, and maybe you're not yet trusting Christ, you don't understand about that, we are glad you're here. I hope this morning will we'll stir your heart about the wonder of being able to pray to God. Others of you might be confused about prayer. You're not sure why prayer is so important, what prayer does, how it works, you just are confused about it. I would guess some others of you might be discouraged about prayer. There may be something you've prayed for for weeks or months or years, and you've seen no answer, and you're, you're wondering, why, why bother? I would guess others of you have a, a rhythm of a prayer, which is often life-giving for you and meaningful, and you really just have this connection with the Lord at, at, at times as you pray. And so we're all different places, and what I'm praying God will do is we all need to grow more in prayer, no matter where you're coming from. And I'm praying that God will use this passage this morning to stir all of us to be more persistent in prayer. And the reason is, is this. There's lots of reasons, but here's one. is because what God wants to do in us as Grace Church and through us as Grace Church in these next months will only happen if we are devoted to prayer. It's only going to happen if we're devoted to prayer. For example, God wants to pour His Spirit out upon us so that we have times where we, like Peter says, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory in beholding Christ in the Scriptures. Oh, don't you long for that? God will do that as we are persistent and devoted to prayer. God wants to give us compassion for people who don't know Him. Compassion that overcomes our fear so we reach out with love and we share our testimonies. God wants to work that into our hearts, and that will happen as we're devoted to prayer. God wants to save people. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. God loves to save people, and he wants to save people here in Abu Dhabi. And we will see neighbors and work associates and friends who don't yet know Christ, we will see them saved as we are devoted to prayer. And God wants the gospel to advance here. He wants more churches to be planted. I was just thinking, four years ago, there was ECC and the ECC off-island. We weren't here, and they had hearts to plant a third church, and here we are. What an amazing thing God has done. But God wants to plant even more churches, and that will happen as we pray. So prayer is absolutely crucial. Our spiritual well-being depends upon prayer. The, the eternal destinies of lost people depends upon prayer. The advance of the gospel and church planting depends upon prayer. Prayer is vital. And that's why I want to talk about it, have us talk about it this morning. So let's turn to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It's an amazing passage. Luke 11. We will put the words up on the screen here, but I always encourage you to bring your paper Bible uh, so that you can underline words, write notes in the margin, make this passage your own, so the next time you read it, it's like, yes, very important, have your own Bible. Now, most of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure, our Father who art in heaven, right? And that is 
taught by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. But that same prayer in a shortened version, a more condensed version, is found in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus teaches it privately, not, not Sermon on the Mount, but privately to his disciples. And that's what's going on here in Luke 11, verses 1 through 4, where Jesus answers the question, what should we pray for? What should we, his disciples, pray for? Look at what we read, Luke 11, 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now underline that first word in that prayer, Father. Father, don't miss this. How should we pray simple and direct? Father. Don't you love that? Father. The moment you, in Jesus' name, turn to God and say, Father, he's been listening, but now he's really listening, right? He's like, he's right there with open arms, a smile on his face, love for you. He's glad you're talking to him. Simple and direct, Father. Now, notice what we ask the Father to do. First of all, he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. When we ask God to hallow his name, what we're asking God to do is glorify your name, magnify your glory, do this. Lift up the name of Jesus Christ, bring his praise. And he does that by saving people who aren't yet trusting Christ, by gathering them into churches, and then by pouring his spirit out upon those churches so they're growing and magnifying and glorifying Christ. So that's what we're praying and asking God to do. God, hallow your name, glorify your name, lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Do you take time in your prayer to say, Father, hallow your name. Let your name be praised. Let your name be glorified. Let's start doing that if you haven't been. Second, he says, let your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, what does that mean? Because of our sin, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, God allowed the world to come under Satan's kingdom. Now, that's ultimately under God's overall sovereignty. Satan can only do what God allows him to do, but still, because of our sin, God has allowed the world to come under Satan's kingdom. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying, God, move with power, push back the powers of darkness. Jesus has broken the power of Satan and his kingdom, and so now this is the time where God is advancing his kingdom throughout the earth for saying, Lord, save lost people here in Abu Dhabi, plant more churches here in Abu Dhabi, break the power of sin in my own heart, let your kingdom come. Do you pray for that? If not, let's start. Third, this might sound kind of strange, give us each day our daily bread. You might think, okay, these first two, hallowed be your name, big request. Let your kingdom come, big request. Bring me my salary. I mean, that's a small request. You might think, that's, that's too small to bring before God, but it's not. Nothing of concern to you is too small to bring before God. And 
you may have never thought about praying for, for your job and for the income to keep coming in and for you to have food tomorrow. But we should pray that because everything depends upon God. The job you have is a gift from God. The skills you have are a gift from God. The, the money you've deposited in your accounts regularly, is, that's a gift from God. So it's good for us. It humbles us to keep praying. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you pray for that? If not, let's start. It'll be good for us. Fourth, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, I want to linger on this one a little bit more and unpack it a bit more. When you are saved through putting your trust in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven for all your sins, and you're changed dramatically, but you don't become sinless. We all still struggle with sin. We have this morning, right? And that's why Jesus calls his disciples regularly to pray, forgive me for my sins, because we will need to be regularly forgiven for our sins. Now, you might wonder, why do we need to ask God to forgive our sins if, when we first put our trust in Christ, all our sins were forgiven, past sins, present sins, and future sins? That's what the Bible teaches, right? The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're completely forgiven. And by the way, let me, let me just speak to those of you who've never yet put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and your all-satisfying treasure. He died on the cross and took upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our sins. We're all guilty before God because of our sin, but Jesus in great love came. God came to earth in the person of Jesus. He died on the cross. He was punished. God in the flesh punished in our place for our sin. Amazing. And then he rose from the dead, showing that his death wasn't the death of an ordinary criminal. It was death that paid for our sins. And so the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You could leave here today with your status entirely changed before God. Instead of being guilty because of your sin, like we all have been, you could leave here forgiven, completely forgiven. That's why we can say, Father. Okay, but now back, back to the question. Why do we need to confess our sins if they've all been forgiven past, present, and future? And the reason is because whenever we sin, there's a, a barrier that's put in our hearts. Our sin makes a barrier between us and God, and we don't sense his love. We don't sense his nearness, and we, we need that sense of guilt lifting off. Yes, lift that guilt off, and, and, the, and the assuring love of God coming down. So it's like, yes, I am forgiven. We don't need to be forgiven. We need to be assured of our forgiveness. That's why we pray every day, I trust, forgive me for my sins. Because when we do that, when we press in, the, the weight of guilt will lift off and the pardoning love of God will come on and we will be assured. Now notice though, he says, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone. Underline that word everyone. Forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgiveness of others doesn't earn forgiveness from God. But forgiveness of others shows that we have the humble, genuine faith that connects us to Jesus, so we are forgiven by God. And so if you're not forgiving someone, you won't be able to be assured of forgiveness because of this verse right here. Now listen, life, walking through life, can bring us great, tragic 
heartbreaking hurt from other people. And Jesus knows that. He experienced that, and, and we know that. Forgiving others isn't easy. But I tell you, when you behold Jesus Christ and you trust him and you see his costly, cross-suffering love for you, your heart will be melted, your heart will be filled, and you will be able to forgive even that person, even that person for what he or she did. We can't forgive people on our own, but when we behold Christ, our hearts are changed so we're able to forgive. That's why Jesus has us praying, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do you pray that regularly? If not, Let's start. Fifth, he gives us five requests. Here's the fifth. And lead us not into temptation. Talking to Jan about this yesterday. We want to be very sure. God never leads people into sin. He never wants anybody to sin. But God can protect us from situations that could tempt us in sin. God can protect us from situations where we would be tempted to sin, and God can strengthen us when we're in those tempting situations so we don't sin. Those are two things God does. He can protect us from tempting situations, and He can strengthen us when we face tempting situations. That's what we're asking God to do here. Lead us not into temptation. As we pray that, he will protect us from tempting situations and he will strengthen us when in his will we need to go through a tempting situation. Do you pray that? Lord, keep me from sin today. Strengthen me. Don't let me sin today. Keep me from tempting situations today. Start praying that. It's so encouraging. So those are five requests we should pray for. But Jesus has more that he wants to teach the disciples than just what they should pray for. He also wants to explain how we should pray. This is so interesting. This is verses 5 through 8. How should we pray? Look at what he says. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him, your friend at midnight, and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he, the friend whose house you're, you're at, will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, that word is often translated persistence, and that's really the meaning that it has here, because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus tells a story here about a man who has uh, unexpected late-night guests. Now, Middle East culture, we're right in here, which is also where Jesus was. In Middle East culture, if you knock on someone's door, they have an, a social obligation to welcome you in and feed you. Years ago, I was with some people in North Africa. We, we saw this house up a little hill. We walked up there, knocked on the door. Sure enough, invited us in, gave us nuts, tea, all kinds of stuff. There's this, in the Middle East culture, beautiful hospitality is here. That's how it works. So this man has unexpected guests at midnight coming to his house. Unexpected. 
So he has no food for them. The stores are all closed. It's midnight. But he feels this obligation to feed them. So he goes to his friend, knocks on the door. Yes, friends, I've got unexpected guests. All right, could you give me three loaves of bread? Friend says, go away. Don't bother us. We're sleeping. See you tomorrow. That's how he responds at first. But Jesus says that he ends up giving the three loaves of bread. Why? What happened? Read verse 8 again. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So the man's there, he's knocking on the door. I, I know it's midnight, I'm so sorry, I've got a, an unexpected guests here. We need, could you give me three loaves of bread? Please, wake up. Go away, don't bother us, we're sleeping. I'm not going away. I, I've got guests, we need food. I'm not going to let you go back to sleep until you give us those three loaves of bread. Give us the three loaves of bread. I'm not going away. All right. Gives him the loaves of bread. That's what Jesus is describing here, right? This persistence, this impudence. Now, the point is not that God is sleeping, okay? The point is not that God doesn't want to help us. We need to interpret Scripture with other Scriptures, and there's hundreds of Scriptures that show that God loves to answer prayer. In fact, Jesus tells us that in the next few verses. But the point Jesus is making is there are times when God, in His wisdom and His love for you, delays His answers delays his answers to give you the gift of persisting in prayer. Now, God's sovereign over everything. He can answer every prayer instantly. Even before you prayed, he can answer your prayers. Right? We saw that in Abraham's life. He started answering the servant's prayer before he prayed it. But there are times when God, in his sovereign authority, even though he could answer it immediately, in his wisdom and in his love, chooses not to. He waits so that you can have the benefit of persisting in prayer. Now, how does persisting in prayer benefit us? I thought of a couple ways. You can maybe think of some more too. But, but one way is because it, it humbles us. It just reminds me, I can't do anything about this. But God, you are sovereign, all-powerful God. Oh, I need you. And here I am, I'm asking you again, I'm reminded, I can't do anything, but you can. That's why we're here. It humbles us. Persisting in prayer reminds us that we can't make things happen by our prayers. It, it needs God and his mercy working, right? I mean, if God didn't answer our prayers, what would your prayers do? Nothing, right? It's not the power of our prayers. God needs to work. It's all about God. And here's another reason why. I'm sure many of you have experienced this. Persisting in prayer gives you more time of sweet, heart-to-heart -heart fellowship with God, communion with God. And there's no greater joy than fellowship and communion with the living God, your Father. And so there's times where God delays the answers just to bless you with more sweet fellowship as you're crying out to Him and as you're praying. So Jesus is calling us to pray persistently. We've seen 
what he wants us to pray for. Now we've seen how he wants us to pray persistently. But there's one more truth he wants to teach the disciples. Why? Why should we pray persistently? Verses 9 through 13. Start with verse 9. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Notice three commands. Ask, seek, and knock. And that's what the man was doing with the neighbor. He was asking, he was seeking, he was knocking. So it connects with the previous story. Now what you can't tell from the English is that the, the Greek form of these three verbs all can have a meaning of persistence. And because of the previous parable, I think what Jesus is saying is, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. So those are the commands. There's three commands. Now, there's also three promises in that same verse. Did you catch that? Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Will. Keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. So why should we ask persistently? It's because God will always respond to persistent prayer. Always. Keep asking, it'll be given to you. Keep seeking, you will find. Keep knocking, it will be opened to you. And just to make sure we don't miss the point, look at what Jesus, how he puts it in verse 10. He says, for everyone, underline that word, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. The verse is so often helpful to me when I'm not very motivated to pray. I just say, okay, now, Father, you said everyone who asks receives. It's really helpful. There's a promise. Here's a promise in God's word. Jesus is promising that God always answers persistent prayer. Everyone who asks receives. Okay, now, if you've read your Bible carefully, there may be a question in your mind about this promise. And you may be asking, but what about the Apostle Paul? What about Paul? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes a terrible affliction that he had, which he calls a thorn in the flesh. He desperately wanted to be freed from this affliction. And he tells us that three times he prayed, not just prayed, the Greek word used there is a, is a word of unusual intense prayer, unusually intense prayer. Three separate times he intensely cried out to God, deliver me, free me from this. This is a terrible affliction. Have mercy upon me. Take this away. Once he prayed that way, twice he prayed that way, three times he prayed that way. But God did not take it away. God said no. So how can Jesus here say, everyone who asks receives? Let me share with you what I think the answer is and, and see if you, if you agree. I don't, don't agree with me. See if, you, if this is what, the, what Jesus is saying. Okay, He's the one who's important here. All right. I think Jesus explains that in the next three verses, that very question. Start with verses 11 and 12. What father among you, 
if his son asks for a fish, that's for food, he wants some fish to eat, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, a poisonous serpent? Any father's going to do that? Your son wants, to, wants lunch, you're going to give him a poisonous serpent? No father's going to do that. Or if he asks for an egg, Daddy, could I have an egg? We'll give him a scorpion. No father's going to do that, right? So here's what Jesus is saying. If you pray persistently for a fish, God will never give you a serpent, ever. If you pray persistently for an egg, God will never give you a scorpion. In other words, when you pray persistently for something, God will, don't miss this, never give you something worse than what you're asking for. Never. That's the point of verses 11 and 12. Whenever you pray persistently, God will never give you something worse than what you're asking for. Okay, that's what God won't do. What will God do? That's what we want to know. What will he do? Verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, all you parents, you love giving gifts to your children. Okay, it's Christmas, and you know that this present is going to be, oh, they're, they're going to love this, they're going to be so excited, you can't wait to have them open it and, and be all excited, because we love giving good gifts to our children, that's, that's who we are. God the Father does that how much more, right? Much more does he delight in giving good gifts to us. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. So God loves giving good gifts to his children, even more than we earthly parents do. Specifically, Jesus says, God loves giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Why is that so significant? The Holy Spirit is the best gift God can give to any human being because the, the role, the work of the Holy Spirit is to make the truth of God the Father and Jesus the Son real to us in our experience. So we don't just know that God loves us, but we feel the very love of God revealed to us through the scriptures. We don't just read about it, but the Holy Spirit, we see it, we feel it. We don't just know that Jesus is glorious. We behold his glory. We taste his glory. We're filled with his glory. We love his glory. You know, you've had times in in worship or in Bible reading where the Holy Spirit just opens the eyes of your heart. So you don't just know these things, but it's like, yes, you're beholding, you're feeling, you're experiencing the truth of God in the scriptures. And when that happens, you are filled with joy. The highest joy in the universe that anyone can know is beholding and experiencing the beauty, the glory, the majesty of God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ. And that's what happens in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying that when you pray persistently for something, God will never give you worse than what you're asking for. He will always give you either what you're asking for exactly or something even better. Better because it will bring you even more of this heart-filling work of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. This is so important. It's what Jesus is teaching, I believe, in this passage. Whenever you pray persistently for something, God will never give you less than what you're asking for. He will always give you either exactly what you are asking for or something even better, better because it's going to bring you even more of that heart-filling work, the Holy Spirit 
revealing Christ to you in the Word of God, showing you God's love and glory in the Scriptures, filling your heart with joy and peace in His very presence. That's what Paul experienced, right? He prayed three times, Father, remove this thorn in the flesh from me. Take it away from me. Three times earnestly crying out to God. And God did not take it away, but God was not giving Paul less than what he was asking for. God was giving Paul more than he was asking for. Paul was going to have a greater experience of the Holy Spirit making God the Father and Jesus the Son real to him through the experience of this thorn in the flesh. That trial was going to draw him closer to God than he could have been drawn had he not had the trial. I bet if, if I ask for a show of hands, how many of you have ended up thanking God for trial because of the nearness to God that it brought you? I think we'd have hands up for all over the room here. That's what God does. Paul was praying, remove the thorn. God didn't give him anything less than what he was asking for. He gave him something better than he was asking for. He allowed the thorn to stay because it brought him more of the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's what this means. This is such an amazing promise. This has really impacted my life this week as I've been praying. I've had some things I've prayed for, I'm sure many of you have, for, for years, some requests that God has not answered yet. But this has encouraged me. Here's what Jesus is teaching us here. Whenever you pray persistently for something, you will never get less than what you're asking for. You will always either get exactly what you are asking for or something even better, which you probably wouldn't have received had you not prayed at all. Whenever you pray persistently for something, you'll never get less than that something. You'll always either get exactly what you're asking for or something even better because it'll bring you more of the work of the Holy Spirit and you would not have experienced that had you not prayed. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Now, let me give you an illustration of how this worked in the life of James Frazier. James Frazier, early 1900s, grew up in the UK. God gave him a heart for the Lisu people, okay, who live right, let me get oriented here, there we are, right, right along here, okay, the Lisu people, just in China, just over the border from Myanmar. He had a heart for these people, unreached, had never heard the gospel. So he left the UK, moved there, lived in China, just over the border from Myanmar. His support came regularly, financial support from the UK, you know, by boat, came regularly. But then war broke out in China. War stopped the postal service from happening, and war was dangerous for foreigners, so he crossed the border into Myanmar to live, and he knew a friend who lived a little bit over the border, so he went to this friend's house. The friend had left the country, but it was open, so he stayed in the friend's house. There was a little bit of food there, so he ate the food, and then the food ran out, and he's praying persistently, give us this day our daily bread, right? He's praying, asking God, provide the, provide the money we need, have the mail come through. He went to the post office. Oh, there's no mail coming these days. The war, no mail's coming. Went the next day, there's no mail. So he was praying persistently. He was going to the post office. He'd also hired someone to help him <clears throat> with translation and with other things that he needed because he was living in a foreign country. And he promised this man, I'm going to pay you on this day. Well, that day was coming close. He had no money. Postal service wasn't happening. He was praying persistently. And the day the money was due to this man who he'd hired, he was praying, God, I don't want you to be dishonored. I promised this man I'd pay him. I have no money. 
help bring the money in. As he was praying, he felt impressed by God to go to the post office. He went to the post office, and the postal clerk was smiling. He said, we've got one letter. One letter's come. It's for you. And he opened up the letter, and, and there was the money. Now, don't miss what this means. This means that a letter had traveled from England by boat, okay, to the east coast of China, and then all across war-torn southern China to the border of Myanmar, and across the border of Myanmar to that post office on the exact day that it was needed. Now, see, God could have answered James Fraser's request a lot earlier than that. The first time he prayed, boom, money could have appeared instantly, right? God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wanted to do. But there are times when God delays. James was praying, provide the money, and God did provide it, but not at the time, not at the time that James was asking for it. James was asking for it now, and, and God had a plan that would all the more display God's glory and show his power, because to have the money come the exact day he owed this man through all the circuitous route of the postal service shows God's worked a miracle. Do you see how that works? Now, many of you have experienced situations just like this. That's what Jesus is promising here in this passage. God always answers persistent prayer. Always. Everyone who asks persistently receives. Everyone always answers persistent prayer. By bringing you either exactly what you're asking for or something even better something which will give you even more of the heart-satisfying work of the Holy Spirit, which you probably would not have received had you not prayed. That's why we pray persistently. But if we don't pray persistently, remember James chapter 4, verse 2 says, we do not have because we do not ask. We do not have because we do not ask. So we pray persistently. We pray. If we will pray persistently, Grace Church, if, if we will unite together to pray persistently for God's name to be hallowed, we will see God's name, Jesus' name, lifted up and exalted here in Abu Dhabi. We will see that happen in either exactly the way we're praying for or in an even better way, which we wouldn't have seen had we not prayed. If we persistently pray, that your name be hallowed. If we will pray persistently for God's kingdom to come, we will see God's kingdom come here in the Middle East. We will see this either exactly the way we're praying for, plant a church here, save this person, or in an even better way, which we would not have seen had we not prayed persistently. If we pray persistently for our daily bread, we will receive our daily bread, either exactly the way we're asking for, or in an even better way, which will bring us even more joy in God, but which we probably wouldn't have experienced had we not prayed. If we will pray persistently for the assurance of forgiveness, we will receive fresh assurance that we are forgiven, either in exactly the way and the time we're asking for, or in an even better way and time than we would have experienced had we not prayed. And if we will pray persistently for God 
not to lead us into temptation. We will not be led into temptation, either exactly the way we're asking or in an even better way, which will bring us even more joy in the Holy Spirit's work, which we would not have experienced had we not prayed. Do you feel how important this is? Everyone who asks receives. Let your name be hallowed. It will happen. Let your kingdom come. It will happen. Give us this day our daily bread. It will happen. Forgive us our sins. It will happen. Lead us not into temptation. It will happen. Now, Grace Church, think of what would happen if, if because of this passage this morning, God stirs our hearts so we're, we're all raised up to a, a greater level of persistence in prayer. What Grace Church, what if we committed together to persistent prayer for God's name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, for daily bread to be provided, for assurance of forgiveness to be poured out upon us, for us not to be led out of temptation. What would happen if we committed together to persisting in prayer in these next weeks and months for these requests? Amazing things are going to happen. Many of you are already praying very persistently. Keep it up and continue as you're able to. Those who've not been praying, let this passage stir you. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who asks, receives. What could happen this fall, this next year? In our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Let me give you a couple specific suggestions. Number one, maybe start with five minutes a day. Five minutes. Not while you're driving, okay? Not while you're doing the laundry. This is where there's nothing else. It's you and your Father through Jesus. Just start with five minutes and pray. I think only five minutes. Yes, but see, once you start with five minutes of undistracted, pouring out your soul before the Father, He will meet you, and you'll, you'll want to spend more, and you're free to do that, okay? Spend more. So start with five minutes a day. Pick a time you'll do it. Don't, don't say, you know, as soon as I feel like praying, I'll start to pray. I usually don't feel like praying, truth be told, okay? Um, but once I start praying and ask God to help me and ask God to forgive me, then he does. So don't wait until you feel like praying. Uh, decide when you're going to pray and pray and say, Lord, I'd, I'd rather be doing many other things right now, but I know, I mean, I really want to be here. Help me. He loves that honesty and he will help you. Also, in our home groups, we take about 10 minutes each week to do corporate prayer together for, let your name be hallowed, let your kingdom come, pour out your spirit upon grace, church, help us to love each other, help us to seek your face, save the lost, plant churches. We pray for church-wide requests. Be part of a home group. That's one of the great blessings and benefits of being part of a home group is to have a group of brothers and sisters where we go hard after God every time we meet and we pray and we call upon him with persistent prayer. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone. Ask persistently. You'll either receive exactly what you're asking for or something even better, which you probably wouldn't have received had you not prayed. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Father, I pray for your power to come upon us right now. Only you can take these words on a page and 
our Bibles and imprint them on our hearts. And I pray that you would do that right now. Let it be ringing in our hearts. Everyone who asks receives. Lord Jesus, these are your words. We know every word you spoke was true. I pray for any here who are not yet trusting you, Lord Jesus, who have not yet received forgiveness of sins. Lord, right now, bring them to that place where they turn from their sin and they look to you and they trust you to save them, trust you to change their hearts, trust you to fill them and satisfy them. Lord, do that right now, I pray. And I pray for those who are already trusting you. Lord, would you stir us with what you want us to do regarding prayer? persistent prayer and we do this because of you and your glory Jesus Christ you are glorious you have overcome you've broken Satan's power you've paid for sin's guilt you've crushed the serpent's head your kingdom is coming we know that you will get the victory and Lord we know that our prayer is a crucial part of this and so we give ourselves to persistent prayer for the glory of your name and we ask this in Jesus name Amen Let's worship.